This podcast is sponsored by UnreservedMedia.com, the wonderful people at Crime Documentary, BBC News, and the amazing people at Murderpedia.org. Welcome back to another episode of Serial Killer Podcast, where today we'll be taking a look at Ahmad Siraji, also known as a Black Magic Killer or or the Shaman Shaman Killer in Indonesia. Now, I think it's important that we discuss his childhood, as his childhood really did show and show signs that he probably would have ended up as a serial killer. He was born in Medan, Indonesia, to the son of a self-proclaimed sorcerer, if, if that's even a real thing, and then he was neglected by his parents due to their standing as sorcerers, although it was mostly his father and not really his mother, and because of this, he had trouble making friends, and because people thought of him as a loner, which which he was, he was often a loner, and he oftentimes did things on his own, I guess, he would go off and play on his own, go off and like, do his own thing and like kind of ignore other people and also he didn't do well in school so he he was not good at learning and because of this he he, he turned to a life of crime which which and landed him in jail for a very very minor crime and when he was much much younger like say around I guess maybe 16 ish 16 years old something something like that and one of these cases was that when he was 19, he went to prison and served 10 years for petty petty crimes and public violence. When, when, and that's that's reasonable, I guess. But the funny thing is, two years after he was released, he immediately went back to jail for cattle theft, which I guess is a major crime because he stole another person's cattle, and like I guess cows are are important for the Indonesian economy and. I think this troubled childhood of his really, really kind of shows, leads him, shows that he, he's gonna go down this path of, um, go down his path of, like, becoming a serial killer, and, and the funny thing is that even though he was neglected, he never really stated that he disliked his father, as eventually he would grow up to be a, a sorcerer, much like his father. So from the year 1960 to 1997, Siraji, Siraji had become a spiritual healer by then, following in his father's footsteps, and this was when he started his killing spree, but originally, but originally, originally before this, police already had an investigation in a way, as several women have been reported missing. These, these, women, these women and children also were aged between 30, between, not 30, between 19 to 30, not 19, between 11 years old to 30 years old. Now, now family and neighbors reported this to the police, and then the police prompted this, saw this, and prompted an investigation, and they couldn't find any traces. They traces had kind of gone cold. Eventually, had gone cold until a breakthrough. The turning point was in, on April 27, 1997, a young farmer went out to a nearby sugarcane field in order to feed his livestock. In order to feed his livestock, I assume, because... He was a farmer and and he had to live off his livestock. And now, upon finding this, he discovered a a strange sized and strange shaped, un or in other words, an unusual mound of dirt all in that sugarcane field. He became suspicious of this and he alerted his village head because during this time, the Indonesian people lived in villages, and so 
So he reported his discovery to the village head Sugito, who also happened to be Suraji's neighbor, so police could kind of close in on a suspect right there. And in the interview, Sugito said that he and several of his men went out to investigate, not investigate the mountain and stuck a piece of wood into it. And then upon sticking a piece of wood into it, they had this rancid smell, this rancid decaying smell, so they dug up the dirt out. And they discovered the bloated and decaying body of a young woman. And she was she had no clothes, she had no clothes, she was naked, so because so the decomposition system was faster because of this. And so they reported this to the police. They reported this to the military actually, not really the police police. And then they dug and so they dug the military not the military dug up further this mountain of dirt and they discovered the they discover, like I said before, the dead body of a dead body of a woman who they identified as Dewey. Dewey, and then family was called over, and the family identified the body as positive for Dewey. And this was the worst discovery for Dewey's mother. And it was because of this. It was because of this that Suraji became a sus became a major suspect. And then after soon after this, as soon as they had discovered the body, um, as soon as they discovered the body, a rickshaw driver by the name of Andrea Suito actually stepped forward and he said that he said that he was the one who dropped off Dewey to to this to um she dropped off Dewey to Suraji's house, Suraji's house, where she was very light on the details, telling him to start nosing around her business. So, so he let it go, and he just dropped her off, and that was the last he had seen of her. And just from that, just from that, and the testimony, and the testimony, police and military were able to single out Suraji as the victim. And also, on top of that, Sugito had already stated that that during this. During this, during this kind of big moment, Sriracha came out, came out and said, "Oh, what was the problem? What was the problem?" Which, which you know, which you know, kind of shows that he had some knowledge of the of the thing, which is so suspicious. So as soon as the police saw that, they immediately arrested arrested Sriracha and put him, and then interrogated him four times in order to coax information out of this so-called, this so-called shaman slash witch doctor that would heal other people. So Sriracha, upon being arrested for for the murder of Dewey, confessed to over 42 murder over 42 murders. Although 80 women went missing during this time period, so it is certainly possible that he had actually murdered all 80. As as during that confession, also he had said that his father had came came to him and said that he had to kill 70 70 women in order to fulfill his quota. And and the bad, the terrible thing about this, though, this is that, is that, Suraji didn't have to go out, go out to get his victims, and because the women all came to him because he was the Duke Dutak or the spiritual healer of the of the, of the village that he was living in. So all these women came to him, came to him, saying over, came to him to in order to save them from disease, from heartbreak, and from to get back with my Dewey. Dewey was one of these people who had actually gotten in a fight with her fiance, and she had she had come to him in order, in order to um, how do I put this? In order, 
in order in order to get back with him because she had she still loved him. She wanted to get back. So so Sirachi promised him. And the sick thing about this is that not only did Sirachi kill them, he robbed them of all their money. He would charge hundreds and hundreds of dollars, hundreds and hundreds of dollars in order to heal them, which they would willingly pay. And then he would kill them. And then he would kill them. So so according according to the testimony to not the silly testament, the confessions given to police by Siraji, he had stated that he had to he had to he had to he had to calm her down, Dewey down over and over and over and over again, over and over again while he was burying her in order to help in order to calm her down, in order to say that he had to, in order for him to save her, he said that she had to be remain calm and then everything would happen. Now during this during this during this time he had an accomplice, which was his wife, his wife known as Too Many, Too Many out of all three of his wives, who were all sisters with each other. Too Many was the major, the major one who, the major one who was part of this plot, this plot to kill people. And so according to Suraji, his wife had helped, had helped him, had helped him by killing, by helping a killer, stripping down, stripping her down, and taking her close point of pasta and then just leaving. So... So this was this was a major major groundbreaking testimony given by given by um by Siraj himself which really showed that which really showed that he did do this and then the funny thing is that he willingly gave up all his testimony he willingly gave it up and he never he willing he originally had denied it but then as soon as it was he just willingly gave it up saying that oh yeah i did this i did that i did this yeah i did that i did that i did that but and then it really shows that he was a serial killer as he showed no remorse and he just willingly openly just testified openly just openly just confessing that yeah i killed all these people i killed all these people it's just it's just what happens it's just what happens and so because of that because of this indonesian officials officials saw him as guilty of all 42 counts of murder they they charged they convicted him to be executed by firing squad and then his wife was also tried at the, during that same time and she was sentenced to life in prison for being an accomplice to murder the other the other thing is that is that Siraji he he did just wait in his house he was just like a predator a predator predator waiting in the bushes for the prey to come to him but you know but he saw this as not very not very consistent so in order to fulfill his quota of 70 p 70 women that he had to kill he would also go out go out and get a bunch of prostitutes as well and then he would bring them house and then he just slaughter them all in order to fulfill his quota in order to fulfill his quota which which is another similar characteristic of a good majority of serial cuz there's a lot of there are a lot of serial cuz who would who go out and kill prostitutes as well and then Siraji he would off oftentimes fall into this category as well and not only not only would he would just bring in people but but he would also bring in bring in these prostitutes and he'd just murder them murder them he'd bring in prostitutes he'd bring in other people he'd bring in other he'd he would sometimes also go out and then lure people in and not just wait and wait at his house for people to come to him Siraji had one of the uh, strangest he had one of the strangest modus operandi in 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 my opinion out of all the serial killers as what he would do is that he would he would lure women to his house and then and then he would say as part of this healing ritual that he was going to do that he would he would have them dig their own graves 
dig their own graves and then they wouldn't know because because a lot of these women they were they were kind of desperate you know they were they were vulnerable vulnerable so so Saranji he Saranji he was he would prey on these on these vulnerabilities and then he would have them dig their own graves and then he would take them and then he would he would bury them he would bury them he would bury them chest deep into their own graves where then where wherein they would they would beg saying why are you doing this but then but then Saranji was like, oh, no, no, it, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's all part of the ritual that I'm going to do to heal you. So then they would believe him. They would believe him. So then after that, he would take a cable wire and then he would strangle them. He would strangle them, killing them through strangulation. And then he would just leave their bodies. But then he would bring his wife. He would bring his wife with him. And then he would strip, strip them down, take all their clothes so to, to, to quicken the decomposing decomposing factor. He would strip them down, take away strip them down, take their clothes, put them in a plastic bag, and then leave. And then what he would do then is that he would rebury them and then he would rebury them neck deep. And then he would have their face he would have them face his house. Their dead body decomposed facing his house. As he believed this would increase his spiritual power. And then on top of this, on top of this, what he would do is then he would take their saliva and then he would drink it. He would drink it so like some kind of like some kind of like some kind of wine or something. He would take, he would suck it out and drink it. As his father, his so-called father that came to him in his dream, said that he had to do this also in order, in order to reach the pinnacle of his spiritual destiny. So that's what he would do. He would take them. He would take them. We don't really know. We don't really know how he did this, but he would say he said in his confessions that he would suck their suck their saliva out similar to like some kind of vampire so then he would suck their blood and he would just leave it he would leave a bunch of dead bodies everywhere all over his um all over his yard in his house in order to in order to increase spiritual power and and i think this is this is really this is really dark i mean I mean, you have. I mean, there's serial killers, sure, like someone like Ted Bundy, who would leave bite marks as their modus operandi or something like that. But I feel like this is darker because not only, not only he doesn't just bury them and leave them. He doesn't just leave them where no one can find them. He literally takes their bodies, buries them, buries them, and has their dead faces just staring at his house. And he, every time he would look out, every time he would go to bed, he would see a bunch of these dead bodies staring at him. Apparently, this gave him some kind of gratification, which, which in my opinion would be really weird. As in, I mean, I mean, it's obvious. Obviously, he's a serial killer, so that's already is weird. But it's an extra, it's an extra mile that he would just leave their bodies here. That he would just leave their bodies and just have their dead bodies stare at him 24-7 every single time. He would just keep bringing in more and more people and just laying them all in these little plots, little plots and have their body faces facing him with like their dead faces and their blank faces and their decomposing bodies just staring at him. And I think that's, that's what makes him one of the darkest serial killers out there. Although Saraji had a very prevalent MO, he never, he never really did have a signature or a certain type of way that he would kill someone as, as it was just there, it was just, it was just his MO, it was just his MO that he did this, he never really had a signature, he didn't leave anything at his crime scenes, or he didn't do any signs that are seen in every, every single crime scene everywhere. So, so during his confessions, Siraji also, Siraji also, he, he claimed that, he claimed that he never would have expected people to, or the police, to really find, find these bodies. Never expected to be caught, which, I mean, I mean, is, is that really, 
I mean, I don't understand that because you're literally burying, the guy was literally burying bodies out in the open where anyone could see. So how would he have expected not to be caught? Not to be caught, but that's aside from the point. And then on top of that, on top of that, the forensic, the forensic expert, forensic expert that investigated Suraji's murders also said that Suraji never claimed that any of his, any of his kills, any of his kills he did were actually sexually motivated. This might have been because he had three wives and then they, they might have satisfied him or something. But he never, he, he never had that type of motive towards it. He, he literally only wanted to do this because. He only, literally only wanted to do this because he wanted to increase his spiritual power and then and that it was something that his his father his his spirit spirit of his father had told him to do so so he so in his mind it seemed it seems like it seems that he only did this because someone else told him to and then and this might this perhaps might have shown that he was schizophrenic or schizophrenic because he was imagining someone else telling him that he had to kill these people and and this might this might be another one of the reasons why he was one of the he, why he went on this major killing spree but honestly i don't honestly i think that but i think it really is the reason one of the reasons why he would engage in such killings because of his schizophrenic type of type of disorder but but I again I find I reiterate that I find it funny that he claimed that he never really thought he, that he would be caught. I mean, caught. I mean, it, it doesn't. It wouldn't have made sense. Anyways, during during his trial, during Suraji's trial by a two panel two panel judge in a in a tiny courtroom in a tiny courtroom, him and his wife had actually claimed that began to claim that they had been coerced to confess by investigators and that they couldn't handle the torture anymore so they had to confess and it was a false confession even though it was clear that in certain tapes that in these tapes of him he was never coerced and that he was willingly giving up all this information and giving them and he was justifying it so this of course fell on deaf ears so then so then no one believed him he was sentenced and he was sentenced to death by a firing squad, but before his execution, he actually, he actually, funny enough, filed for an appeal, an appeal to the, to the court saying, through the fact that he was being coerced for a confession that all of that was fake, which of course, of course failed because, because he was clearly responsible for all of these, all of these women's death and that, and his killing spree was labeled the worst killing spree in Indonesia, so... This, this this fell through and and then he was executed with and surprise and funny thing is that everyone that was in that courtroom all hundred people who were inside the courtroom who were watching on the TV screens outside all actually cheered when he was told that he would be put to death and I think this really shows how how much the people hated him in a way but the thing is though before all of this he had actually been really liked. He was liked by all by Indonesians because in the exterior he was a very nice person. He was a very nice person who helped to went out of his way to help people in trouble. He would go out, volunteer his time, donate things. So people never would have expected him. This 
really, really nice person, nice person, this kind, benevolent soul in their eyes to be this mass murderer. And I think that really shows like a duality in a way that, in a way that people, in a way that serial killers can do. They serial killers in that way seem to have that skill, and that in the outside they can be show be very kind, very kind, very pure souls. But in the inside, in the inside where no one's looking, they're these horrible, horrible, terrible people. And that would be another reason why he is one. He is a serial killer because he was he was able to masquerade his appearance. Masquerade's appearance and his personality both in the outside and the inside by seemingly being a really nice person when in reality he really wasn't. So Siraji is a uh, is an is his criminal profile would follow as an Asian, an Asian male who's who was around 55 year old years old during the time of his killing with a very thin frame with a this with a distinct type of facial hair on him and then he he really believed that he had magical powers. He really believed he had magical powers. He lived in this delusion delusion that he was that he was a true shaman who could heal anything and that he had magical powers, but but in reality I don't think he I don't think he really did. I think all that shaman stuff, I don't mean to be rude to anyone who might believe it, but I think it's not I think that it's not all real. That you can think of it some of it might be real, but uh, the majority of it isn't real now now I think Siraji really that his sentence was really deserving of the crimes that he had done as as Siraji he he's a dangerous man he would be a dangerous man to really leave in the open and he would be a dangerous man to have to have accepted his appeal that he did and because were he to have been released released through his appeal then he really would have just gone back to killing. He might he might have stopped for a bit, maybe maybe let's say a day or a month or two, but he might have he would have just gone right down right back to killing. That's just in his nature. He would just have gone right back to killing more women and then more people would be dead. More people would die. So I think it would be it was totally it was totally acceptable that his that his uh, appeal was denied by the courts and I don't think it was unfair in any way. And it might have been biased because might have been biased because many people just automatically saw him as as guilty but if you were to look at the forensic evidence and the dead body of the woman the belongings belonging to him and then all of these missing women and dead bodies of these missing women having all been traced back to Siraji it was clear that he um that he would have been the one who did it so he actually he in the end he repented or at least he claimed to have repented and then he switched to Islam and then he said that he had repented for all his sins and that and that this was totally unfair as he was a clean man now but you know no matter how much you may think that you've been clean or that that you've been cleaned of your slate it's still he still would bear the mark of all that blood on his hands he would still have the blood on his hands and the funny thing is that he actually he actually continued to be this shaman type of person by giving spiritual spiritual and religious advice to his fellow prisoners which i guess he could have done but you know i think it would have been irrelevant by then because you know i don't think anyone could have fully trusted him trusted him trusted him after what he did and then especially even fellow prisoners even fellow prisoners that he would have given these religious advice to and you know 
you know, it's it's a, it's really interesting. This was a really interesting case, and and you know, I want I want to I want to thank you for listening to this podcast regarding regarding the witch doctor or the shaman or the shaman killer, and that was Ahmed Siraji, and you know, it was a really it was really interesting. It was a really interesting interesting case, and then I think we I think we can learn a lot from it. Showing can learn a lot from it, saying that. If we let some things hold us down, weigh us down fully, then we could become these types of people. And and I think I think it's an important it's important that people under people understand, not really understand and sympathize with them, but really understand the circumstances surrounding these types of cases. And then and then really and then really taking that taking that to heart and just showing that showing that you can go down two paths. You could either you can you can either you can either like you can either you can either do something bad like Siraji did, or you can do something with that neglect that you felt. And I think I think that's important. I think that's a very important. And this was an interesting case that I think really could show what some of these serial killers end up doing, and then the paths that you can take regarding. Regarding your shared childhood, if you if you know what I mean.